Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message from Evangelist Ben Fitzgerald. I love you. Have one of the honestly, I mean this without even if we weren't friends, you have one of the best pastors in the whole world. I love this. I love this man so deeply. You really are a privileged church. You know that I travel everywhere around the world, and uh, you're a real privileged church. And uh, not that, not that I'm not saying that other pastors are bad, or uh, or that there's better or worse or whatever. But I'd tell you that you want a pastor who loves God and who is after his own heart. You know that's what you want, and you have it. Amen. Well, thank you, Holy Spirit. I can really feel the anointing. Thanks, Dan, for the opportunity to go a little longer today. I can feel the anointing. I preached in the first service about something that's a really big key that we're going to need. So I want to pray for you, and I want to share with you what the Lord's showing me. And we're heading into Awakening Australia, as you saw, in five weeks. But how many of you know this is not the end of the rope? This is the beginning of the fire. And so that's what we want. We want this to spread all across our nation, and it is spreading. And so far, most of the registrations are coming from outside of Victoria, which is amazing. And you saw what's happening in Europe. I mean, these are atheist countries, some of the countries we've gone to, and God is just rocking people. And especially, and I don't mean this to be weird, but like people are laying down their egos and their logos for the sake of Jesus. You know what I mean? Like they're not like, I'm from this church and I'm from this place. People aren't thinking that way these days. It's such immature thinking anyway, because we're going to end up in the same heaven. So we have to love and appreciate each other now on earth. Amen? It's good to get to know each other on earth. You know, God really prunes us that way as well. If you don't like somebody, it's probably the place where God's pruning your soul. And, uh, and He wants you to love them because you're, you're going to get to spend a lot of time with Him in the future. And you won't be able to say, I'm not living in the Baptist section of heaven. You won't be able to say that. There's no Baptist section. Someone gave me a big bend today. Thank you for that. It's wonderful. Uh, very, I like prophetic gifts. I Prophetic money is also encouraged. Um, prophetic Ferraris, whatever you're feeling. I'm just kidding. Um, they gave me this gift today, so I might just chuck it here to Jess, and uh, lest I lose it. Oh, Jess, you dropped Big Ben. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's cool, isn't it? Squishy. I'm, I'm glad. The Lord knows that I needed a squishy thing. People give me so many gifts, and I break them. Um, are you a person that keeps cards? You, you are? Like five people are like, yeah, we love cards. I get given so many, and I tell people sometimes, I'm like, don't give me a card. I'll read it once, and I'll forget what it said, but, uh, but please give me gifts. Those things are cool. Um, they're cool. Oh, man, I've received some funny gifts over the years in ministry, some very funny prophetic, uh, prophetic gifts. Actually, do you want me to show you one of them just before I pray? Now, oh, man, I have so many. In the back of my Bible... Um, people give me little things like, you know, girl, little kids, like God loves you so much, you know, little things like that. Um, probably one of the greatest revelations I ever had happened to me recently, uh, and, and it was a, uh, yeah, I'll share it with you. This is a very personal thing between me and the Lord, but I'll share it anyway. I was in a big meeting in the United States, and um, I know all the people there. Like, they're all my friends. They're all Daniel Klender and Todd and all these different people. And uh, I was there, and I went up the front, and someone moved me. What happens when we do conferences is somebody will be in charge of ushering. 
And so they'll be in charge of writing all the names on the seats, etc. And someone moved me back a few, few rows. And, uh, and so I went up the front anyway, and I thought, I mean, who cares? I always sit here anyway. I sit with, these are all my friends. I'll just go up the front. And I was standing there, and the Lord began to speak to me. He's like, do you need that, Ben? Do you need it? Why don't you just go and back to where they put your name? Just be an example. And so I said, God, I won't just go to the back. I'll go to the very back. And I went to the furthest part of the stadium arena, the very, very, very back. And I said, Jesus, forgive me. I said, God, forgive me for even that little thought. I said, I want to be like you, Jesus. I said, you wouldn't walk into a place and be expecting everything. And you wouldn't think that way. And I usually don't think that way. But in this particular one, because they're all personal friends of mine, you know, I was a bit like, I need this. Uh, you know, I'm going to sit here because these are all my friends. And someone put my name back, back there. And so I was at the very back of the building. And I said, God, forgive me for being so silly. And I actually started to tear up a little bit. And I said, Jesus, I only want to be like you. And so anyway, I went back into the, the third row, whatever it was, and I just started to worship. But I, f- I don't know where they put my name. I, f- I forgot to look. And, uh, and then this guy taps me on the shoulder. And he goes, do you know whose seat you're in? And I turned. I found out. That one seat, only one seat in the whole auditorium was named for Jesus. And I'd just gone out the back, up the very back, and I said, God, I only want to be like you. I only want to be like Jesus. I said, I only want to sit where you'd sit. I don't want to entitle myself. I never want to think of myself greater. I don't need anything, God. I just went, I went back and I humbled myself and I was worshiping and I realized I was seated where they made one seat for Jesus. And so I'll never, I don't want to lose that. In fact, when we have an office, I'll frame that one um, so that I remember to never act like an idiot again. <laughs> I can't find the other prophetic gift, but basically it was the worst drawing in the world. And when I got it, it was just the heart of the woman that encouraged me. And the drawing looks like a monster and like a, with a sword and with missing teeth. And anyway, so I can't find it. Let's pray. God, help me to get back to the point. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, God, you're the good shepherd. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing in the hearts of the people. God, we pray in the name of Jesus in our country right now that this would be one of the greatest moves of God that we've ever seen. It won't be a move that is a quick flash in the pan or a quick flame because this is the flame in all of us. It's different. It's in every Christian. It's Colossians 1.27, God. It is Christ in them, the hope of glory. And Father, we pray this morning you would give us keys. I ask that people would walk away here greatly encouraged, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And I ask, God, that you would do miracles even as we're preaching, even as we're talking about you. I pray that Jehovah Sneaky would be in this room doing miracles, that no one even knows, that all of a sudden they feel something's changed in their liver, something's changed in their back. God is sneaky. He doesn't need our permission. And God, we pray that you would do this, that you would show up today as you always do, and you would heal people, and you do miracles in people. And God, we've seen you do it so many times. We've seen HIV healed by accident. We've seen people with HIV terminally walk into meetings and walk out with no HIV, not even knowing they're being healed. I remember one time, God, where someone walked into a meeting that we did in uh, Germany and people, the guy did not want to come and he had five tumors in his chest and he was terminally ill. He did not want to be at the meeting. As he stood in the meeting and the people began to praise God, I remember, Lord, what he described as he said, fire went through my chest. He said something happened and he found out that week that those tumors were gone and he's still alive. So Father, we pray for that this morning and we pray, Lord, that you would give us great faith and we're going to see a lot happen this morning. We really are. We're going to see a lot of miracles. You know, I want to tell you, the Lord's just showing me right now, there's two people who came here this morning. This is unfamiliar territory to you. One of you's come 
You've had two men in your life that have completely destroyed your life. After those two men destroyed your life, you stayed on your own for the majority. You've looked for other people in your world. I don't know you. God knows you. And I just am seeing this right now. You had two particular men. You've had more relationships, but two particular men came into your life and they destroyed everything. And it was your own brokenness. You know, you're looking for that perfect person in your life who understood you and they didn't understand you. Unfortunately, they were given over to sin. One of them uh, cheated on you. And, but the other one, I don't know what happened. And I sense there was something to do with sickness in, in that person's life as well, that they were sick somehow. And uh, maybe they had some mental, uh, not, <clears throat> maybe not physical sickness, but they had some disorder of anxiety or, or they would have manic a- anxiety attacks or some really bad stuff would happen. And they would get angry at you. These two men, they came into your world. And since that time, you've been searching. You've been on this long search, and it's taken you in many different paths. You've, uh, you've stayed in the one place in one sense, but you've moved to all different places around Australia looking and searching. And the Lord's saying, I've brought you here this morning because you've come home. It's not that you've come home to just the church building. It's not that you've come home to a group of people. He's saying, I'm drawing you. I'm drawing you home to my heart. I want to take away what is owed to you. And there's even finances owed to you. There was over, uh, around about $65,000 owed to you. And God wants to even restore that somehow. I don't know how he does it, but he just does. And it might come over time, but God is saying, more than the money, I brought you here for this time. There's another person, there's a man here, and, and you're also in this, this interesting journey. And you've been in the journey of the battle with addiction. Now, I know there's several people in here with addiction, but you've been in the journey of a battle of addiction. And you've been like, God, I know you're real. I know you're up there kind of thing, but I don't know how to be free. And the Lord wants to tell you that you're just the same as any person he created. He's just as able to deliver you as he delivered anybody. And that's what I'll minister about this morning. But the Lord's showing me that. You have two children. I believe you may have another child to somebody else. I believe there might be three. That's what I can sense. And you have two kids, but another one maybe was with somebody else or they had a kid or something. I just see three kids, but two of them being yours. And, or one being, another one being yours, but to another person. And you have, you have some kind of surgery you had. I believe it was in your back. Or, or I also see a scar on the knee, a big scar on the knee. And, and I believe this is to, to do with two people. And I don't know who they are, and I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but I'm seeing this really clearly. And God brought you here this morning. You're on God's calendar, which means he wants to change your life. He wants to transform your life. And I, is there someone here, and that makes sense to you? If you want to put your hand up, you can. If, yeah, it might be you. Okay, up here, up the very back. Okay, and this lady here as well. Okay, is that man here that I was talking about as well? Okay, yep, there's about five people it makes sense to. I believe that two of you, specific, it's, most of that would be correct, if not all of it. So God wants to deliver you this morning. And you came here, sometimes we think we're in church by accident. Mm-mm. No, (laughs) you came here on purpose. God brought you here. Amen. Okay, so thank you, Father. All right, guys, I want to talk to you this morning about how to position yourself for Awakening Australia. What I mean by that is not how to position yourself for the event. How How to position yourself for the Awakening in Australia. Does that make sense to you? Is there an Awakening in Australia? Is there? Are you convinced? Are people awaking out of dead spirituality to the truth of God? Are people awakening out of dead religion to the truth? Do people want religion? Do they want relationship? Do they want freedom? Did Jesus come to establish a new religion? What did he come for? Relationship. That's right. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And Jesus came off the cross, rose from the dead because he wanted you to have relationship with God. He didn't want you to become a theological, hermeneutical, philosophical robot. He didn't want you to know how to say the right words to God and how to say the right words to people, yet be broken on the inside having no relationship with the Lord. He made you for intimacy. And we've been made for intimacy. And in that intimacy comes certain marking moments in history, in our nation, in our place, wherever we're called. And I personally believe that if you're in this room, you are called to be in this room. God didn't make you by accident as an Australian, even if you came from overseas and you moved somewhere from from Thailand or somewhere you moved here. God didn't place you here by accident. If you were born here, it means your destiny is birthed in this country, meaning you have a position that God wants you to fulfill. You have something in this harvest that God wants you to fulfill. And today I want to talk about that, the gift of faith and expectation. And this is a key ingredient that I believe will prepare us for what God is going to do in five weeks and also after and also before. And even in your own personal life, you have trials you're facing, stuff you need God to do. God is the God of the breakthrough. In the Old Testament, his name is Baal Perizim. He uses that word, which means God who breaks through like a breakthrough of water. I watched this interesting thing where these people dropped a water balloon from 45 meters. As they dropped it, it smashed a slate pool table, a water balloon. It smashed a slate, this thick pool table. Now, you could kick against slate. You could get a hammer. You could even get a jack saw and just go against slate. You can't break it. They tried everything. They can't break it. But they dropped a water balloon from 45 meters, and it smashed a slate table in half because the power is not necessarily in what's in the water. The power is in the momentum, and that's how God is. He's a God of breakthrough. All of history talks about God's breakthroughs. Every point in history, you see God intervening for mankind, and He intervenes the same way this morning. He knows you, He loves you, and He wants to deliver you. You're not here by accident. You have to remember that. You're not in Australia by accident. You didn't just show up here in your mother's womb because God thought it would be a good idea. He put you here. You could have been born in America, in another country, but God knew you'd be an Aussie. And there's a reason why you're alive on this earth. And God does not want you to make a living. He wants you to make a difference. There's a really big, it's a real big deal to God. He doesn't want you just to exist here. God, I go to church Sunday, Wednesday, and I exist. He wants you to take ground from the enemy, but he needs our heart posture to have a certain way. And I'll backtrack and I'll share where this came from. My little bitty mama's here. She's beautiful. My mother is so beautiful. She's in her 60s. She doesn't look like it. And uh, my dad is here as well. He's also beautiful. He has cool silver hair. And um, they're amazing people. My mom and dad look like Christian hippies. One time people said to me, they're like, uh, you're, you're from hippies. Like, you guys are like hippies. We're like, yeah, we are. Very good looking hippies. But yes, we're hippies. And, uh, and so we, we love the freedom of the spirit. We love the, to dress free. My mom's a world famous artist. She would never tell anybody that. But she's world famous. And uh, she couldn't care less about that. All she cares about is loving people. But my mother taught me a lesson that ingrained itself in me as a young boy when our father committed suicide. My mom's husband, my dad. I came home at 10 years of age and uh, I found my dad dead. The house that we lived up and grew up in, it's in Baum Crescent, Australia, in Geelong, Victoria. And uh, I grew up there, and, and it was a beautiful house, and I loved mom and dad. Our fellowship was amazing. Our family was so cool. But one day, my father, due to some real strong mental oppression he had, made a decision to commit suicide. I found him dead. It wasn't a good thing. Uh, my dad was my hero. So when I found him dead, a lot of the hope that was inside my life, gone. It was crushed in a moment. I didn't like being at the house, but the place I didn't like even more was school. I didn't like being at school. And in school, my last name's Fitzgerald. My dad had schizophrenia, so they used to tease me and call me Fitz the Skits. 
So they would pick on me at school and they would beat me up and they'd do all this silly stuff to me. You know, the kids do when they get a hold of those kind of things sometimes. It's, it's just like they go with a peer group pressure and, and they tease one person. It's a very, very silly thing and troubling thing. And so anyway, I would not want to be at school. I was hurt from my dad's suicide, but the last place I wanted to be was school. Uh, when I found my dad dead, I all of a sudden rebelled against love. I pushed everybody away that, that felt like love to me, including my mama. And uh, she was an amazing woman. My sister, my brother, my little brother, I pushed them away too in some senses. My brother I was probably closest to because I felt a moral responsibility to look after him sort of like a segregate pseudo father, even though I was his older brother. And so I began to become pretty mature in the sense of immature in my actions, but kind of strong, a strong personality very quick. Whereas my mom tells me as a little kid, I was very gentle all the time. And I flipped when my father died. So I used to get up in the morning, I put my little uniform on, mom would send me off to school and I used to have to, you know, walk to school sometimes, 20 minute walk, which I didn't mind doing because I was, you know, young kid, fit and everything. And, uh, and, but I didn't like to be at school after this time because of the teasing. And I also didn't like to be in the house. But if I had to choose an option, it was the house. And so what I used to do is I'd leave my window open a little bit, just a tiny bit. Even if mom would come in the room and look at the window, you couldn't tell. I was very sneaky. And so I used to get out, see your mom, you know, I'd leave, leave the house and I'd be expecting. My mom will leave in probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So I'd go to the park. Sometimes I'd go there and smoke cigarettes. Not a good thing, you know, really hurt as a kid. And now taking on cigarettes and pornography and, and silly stuff to fill the voids in my life. And so anyway, I'd go back to the house and I'd get in the, in the house and I'd keep the door shut. So my mom didn't even know. And I'd push the thing up really softly, the, the, the window, and just jump back in, my little uniform on. And I'd get near the door and I'd, I'd do all sorts of strategic things like lean a, lean a little block, you know, those building blocks kids get, get or Lego and stuff. I'd lean things against the door in case she began to open it, it would fall. I'd know how to hide. And I was just very tricky. You know, Sometimes kids who are you know, in sin and hurting can be pretty tricky. And I used to steal money from her and all sorts of crazy stuff. Forgive me, mom. I hope this is not touching any wounds or anything. But anyway, so my mom taught me a lesson that God wants to teach you this morning in preparation for what he's doing in Australia and also in your life. I'd be in the room and I remember the old Hillsong tapes, you know, Hillsong, remember the tape deck when you used to go to bed and you put like Pearl Jam on or Hillsong or whatever, and you'd hear it like as you're falling asleep, you'd hear that click and it just, you flip the other side over. Aren't you thankful for modern technology? But uh, I remember hearing the click of the tape and I'm like awesome now mum will leave and she'd turn the tape around and I'd hear her from my bedroom and she's in the lounge room praising God thanking God even only six months nine months after her husband my father had committed suicide they didn't have enough life insurance they didn't have any money my mum didn't have a job she had three kids she had a mortgage to pay which God provided miraculously but she had all this stuff and she had no one to support her except the Lord. But my mom, she knew that God had to be our only option. She didn't have enough money from Centrelink. She didn't have a job she could just leave the kids and go to. She didn't have a career to pursue. She was left holding the basket. But what my mom did and what she ingrained in me and she taught me, even though I didn't want to be taught this lesson, she, she went to God and she went with this, this feeling of expectation. I remember listening to her cry and I didn't like it. I didn't want to hear Hillsong. I didn't want to hear God. I heard, I'd been hurt. I turned my heart away from God. I didn't want to talk about God. But all I remember hearing was my mom would praise Him for hours. And she would say, God, even though my husband's gone, you will be my husband. You will provide for this family. God, I believe you're faithful. I'm not giving up on you, God. I believe you haven't given up on us. I'm not blaming you, God. She would be real. She'd be on her knees sometimes because I'd sneak out of the room and I'd try and find out when's this going to end. She's been here for two hours. 
and I'd see her crying on her face and she'd be raw with the Lord. She'd be, God, I'm upset. I don't understand, but I know you're better than this. This is not you. God, you don't do this. You're not a God of religious punishment. You're a God of life. You didn't make my husband commit suicide. She didn't blame God. She was, had misunderstanding, sure. She had pain, sure. She had children who were in pain who were giving her more grief, which was what I was doing at the time. But she didn't stop praising. And you know what I found in my mother's voice? I didn't just find, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. I found expectation. She expected God to move. We need this in Australia. It got ingrained in me. I remember I used to think about it when I was an unsafe person, how she used to worship and thank God for, God, for, for the suicide of my dad. She didn't say, God, thank you that it happened. She said, thank you that you haven't forsaken us. And she said, thank you, you'll provide. We nearly lost the house. We didn't by the hand of God. She met an amazing husband. They got another house by the hand of God. Everything that was stripped from them has been paid back double or more. Everything. But it, it got ingrained in me. And so when I first got saved, all I knew, because I remembered mom, the way she was responding to God, is you just thank God. You just praise Him and you just believe that He can do anything. And I was, you know, pretty twisted. I was in drug dealing, prostitutes, all this stuff. I was a real Luke 15 prodigal son, just doing whatever I wanted. But when I met Jesus, I realized He's the God who delivers people. This is the God that we all have faith in. This is the God that my mother had faith in. And look how her life turned out. It's amazing. She taught me that by example, even if she didn't know I was studying her as a student. So I'd leave the house after the Hillsong tape would click again over. I'm like, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, I'd go down and try and get into all sorts of twisted things. But my mom never stopped praying. She was like a bulldog. She did not quit. No matter the circumstance, she saw me get into, I left home at 14. She saw me go down a terrible road, but she grabbed a hold of God and put a contract out on my life. <coughs> she said to God, that boy's mine. You made him. We both made him. Get him. Get him, God. She put a contract out. Some of you mothers here can relate to that. You are like bulldog. You look, you look beautiful. You look elegant. But you've got the fierceness inside you of a lion. And you don't let go. <laughs> Someone, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Someone might want to get prayer from her later on. <laughs> um, God recently said to me, Ben, I was praying some prayers. And the Holy Spirit's so gentle, you know, He fathers you, He loves you, He doesn't condemn you, fathers you, but He does speak real. God is really raw. If you have a problem in your life, sometimes God will be so raw, it's more offensive than if a person told you because He's so straightforward because He doesn't want you to think that He's going to lie to you, trick you, deceive you. He wants, you to, he wants to show you the road away, the road out. And I know that in Australia right now, we have a critical moment in history and time that needs to be, we need to apprehend it. Something needs to happen in our country. And the answer isn't better politics. The answer is not a greater ecology. The answer is Jesus. How do I know the answer is Jesus? Many people, oh, you're way early, to this one. Many people, many people, uh, I'll be another 20 minutes, I reckon. Many people, but by faith, you may be able to draw me quicker. <laughs> many people in our country believe that if our country gets better, people will get better. That's not true. I've been in some of the most atheist nations of the entire world. People have the best health care. They have the best family systems. Everything goes well for them. Everything looks perfect for them. They have a sheltered life. They have a safe life, but it's like a pipe dream. They still have pedophilia. 
They still have underworld sex trafficking. They still have gangs. They still have porn. They still have a one in two divorce rate. They still have the problems that are uniquely ingrained called the sin of man. What we're born in is darkness. They can't get it out by themselves. You can't yoga it out of you. You can try and find some level of peace. But if your mother calls you, who you've always had trouble with, and you've meditated on a mountain for three months, and one phone call will prove to you that that meditation didn't do a whole lot. (laughs) Someone has to help you on the inside. And that person is Jesus. But God spoke to me recently. He said, Ben, he said, why would you ever pray one prayer that you don't expect me to absolutely answer? And it hit me. He's like, out of your mouth, son, should never come one prayer that you don't expect to receive the answer with. Let me give you an example. If I say God, which we have an immediate need right now of around $600 plus If I say, God, you have to do this. And I doubt him. And I don't believe maybe it will or won't happen. If I pray like that, I have no expectation to receive the answer to my prayer. We're going to take you to a story in a minute. It's the most profound story in the New Testament, in my opinion. It's very, very profound because of the way Jesus responds and his friends respond to this woman. But if you don't believe, if I pray, God, save my unsaved brother, touch his life. He's a heroin addict right now. God, touch him. If I do that thinking God is pleased with the mental assent of saying words, but not believing, I'll see the result. All I've done is added to this thing the world calls hypocrisy. Let me give you an example. Oh, I love you, bro. It's great to see you at church on Sunday. Monday, they're gossiping about the same person. Sorry, bro. They're gossiping about the same person they said they loved. Why? Because it's words without faith. It's words without expectation that that will be a life change. And I don't want to live my life for Jesus expecting nothing to happen except that I'd go to church Sunday and Wednesday and be a nice person. If I pray, and now if Heidi Baker was here or someone, she said, give your life to God. Every one of us in this room, we would do it because we know it's, it's the right thing to do. Our heart would respond in us. I want to give my life to God. And we'd run down the front, God, I give you my all. But the test comes not when we say that. The test comes when we expect God to actually answer us. Part of the whole Word of God, part of the whole thing about Jesus said, seek me, you'll find me, knock, the door shall be open, Matthew 7, 7. Part of the whole thing of your relationship with God is God expects you to ask, but more than the asking, He expects you to believe He'll answer. What's the point of serving a God that doesn't exist? What's the point of praying a prayer that won't be answered? For the mental assent and thinking that God likes the sound of that. Imagine I went to the bank with my credit card, knowing there's 100 grand in my bank. And I went there and I said, here's my card, here's my ID, I want to take out $100,000. And she grabbed the cash like that. And I went, oh, I didn't think you were serious. She's like, you asked for it. I'm like, yeah, but. I just thought you wanted to hear it because you're a bank teller. I thought you liked to hear that. People want to take money out. God expects us to expect him. God expects us to trust Him. When we approach people with the gospel, when in five weeks' time, when all these people from all over Australia flood Marvel Stadium, God expects us and them to expect that He would change our country. If we don't, there's no point going there. There's no point hiring the stadium. We may as well go home drink coffee, which we will do in the stadium by faith also. But, but there's no point, is there? What's the point of Christianity if there's no God who answers the prayer? My mother prayed like crazy. She was like a bulldog. She gripped onto God and she said, I have no money, I have nothing, but I have you. If I have you, I have everything. If I have you, there's no breakthrough that you can withhold from anybody. And you'd see me the same as you see anybody. I'll, I'll let you in a little deeper in mom's story. Personally, Jesus appeared to her. 
I don't mean she had like a dream. Jesus actually, she saw a physical with her eyes, an apparition of Jesus where she saw a, 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 like a, was like a box, didn't you say, mom? Open up above your head, like a tunnel, right? But physically with your eyes, mom, correct? Yep. With her eyes. She's praying on those knees that I crept around the corner and watched her. I was like, why does she keep doing that? That, while she was doing that, at some point, her expectancy pulled on God because God came, literally came. She saw a tunnel and she asked God for certain things. She heard the voice of God. I will protect you. Not long after she was at a meeting and a prophet called her out right up the back. Big, big meeting. He said, you with the reddish hair, stand up. And he said, God is saying that you ask him anything, he'll give it to you. That's the same thing Jesus told her. Right after, right around the same time. So she began to ask for things. You know, one of the things she asked for was a tall boy chest of drawers for her kids. A tall boy. You know what that is? Like a a triple, some of you women, guys like tall boy. What the heck's a tall boy? Daniel's a tall boy. (laughs) A tall boy is a chest of drawers. My mom asked for it. Two weeks later, the chest of drawers. Oh, but God, that's coincidental that she asked and then she found that chest of drawers. No, it's not. It's called expectation. She asked for something greater, a sinful, twisted, rebellious boy like me. Turn him to God. She used to tell me, you won't just turn to God, you'll preach all around the world. Stadiums, you'll, you'll be an evangelist. And you know what? Her expectation was partnering with what's already in God's heart. What are you partnering with this morning? What do you need God to do in your life? Are you believing He can actually do it? Or are you just praying because you think He wants to hear the prayer? Imagine if someone came to you and said, you know what, honey, I love you. And you just knew that they didn't love you. It kind of almost frustrates you a little bit. Not that the Lord is frustrated at us, but He's like, I don't need to hear it. That's not what I'm asking from you. That's religion asking you that. Religion asks you to do the, this and do all the right things and tick the box of what God wants. That is not how we live. We live in relationship. God wants you to come, what does it say? Believing that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If I don't believe God will reward, if I don't have the faith that He can do it, then why would I come? We are in the most critical time of Australian history. One in every five people more than 12 years ago believes there is no God at all. We are in a serious time. Serious time calls for serious faith. It calls for real commitment. It doesn't call for laziness, and it certainly doesn't call for religious rhetoric. It calls for real faith. There are nations in the earth that were going downhill away from God, morally corrupt, all sorts of junk. People are becoming abusers, husbands who are beating their wives, like the nation of Wales. And one man believed that if I pray enough and believe that you will do it, not just saying the words. Many people add to the steps of trying to ascend the hill of God because they prayed a little more and they think God will hear them because they've done a little more than the next guy. No, that's not even, it's not about that. But he prayed and he came to God constantly. He said, God, I believe that you want to touch our country. I don't believe it's right that men go home drunk and beat their wives. I believe that the only answer to true morality is the person who lived the most morally free and most in love with God and most in love with people. That's Jesus. That's what he believed, Evan Roberts. He was 25 years of age. You know what he did? He prayed. He was convicted, compelled by God. He said, you must do something. See, when you're like that, it's desperate, but it's not desperate in a religious, weird way. It's not desperate in, you won't do it. I'm a poor little person down here that you won't help. It's desperate in something must change. And if it doesn't change, what are we doing here? If, if you're not born to change history, what are you born for? To exist in it? You're born here to exist. I'm a, I'm a robot. I'm just in existence. Oh, come on. God's inside you. 
Not only that, you have the ear of God. If I had the ear right now of Scott Morrison, if he was a personal friend of mine or Trump or whoever, uh, you can bet your sweet biscuits I would be asking for stuff. Excuse me, Trump, I could use a few hundred million dollars, please. Excuse me, Scott, I could use a grant from the government to do this religious event. I would be asking. You know why I'd be asking? Because he has power to answer. Would I doubt if, I said, if Scott said to me, hey, Ben, I'm going to give you a big grant from the government. Would I go, oh, you don't have, it's okay. I'll just ask you again, though. Scott, can you give me a big, I just told you, I will. And, well, thank you. <laughs> Hang on one second. Hey, Scott, can you give me a grant from the government? I just told you, I will. <laughs> what has he told us here? What did Jesus say? Ask and you might receive. Seek and you might find. Knock and the door will probably be closed for a few years. No, that's not what he said. I want to read you a story of someone who had a remarkable understanding of the word expectation. Remarkable understanding of this. Turn your Bible open to the book of Matthew chapter 15. I'll try and finish soon. That doesn't mean come yet. <laughs> I don't mind if they stand up there. I just, uh, I just feel bad for him. He'd be chilling and just chilling there. Um, Matthew chapter 15. Do you believe that God can do anything in your life? Before I read this, I'll tell you something. I was addicted to porn since eight years of age. It was over a 20-year addiction. I couldn't break free of it. It was very strongholded in my thinking. It was like, it was a stronghold. It had a hold over me, the way I thought about women. It was all, it was a stronghold. I got born again. God invites us into a thing called intimacy over relationship, over our religion. He invites us to fully give ourselves so that he might fully give us freedom. Jesus didn't pay for partial freedom, but the Son of God came to set everyone free fully. So you can be free of mental illness, which I had. I got delivered of that. You can be free of anxiety, which I had. I got delivered of that. You can be free of a whole bunch of stuff, lying. Uh, I used to steal money. I got free of all those things. There was one thing that I had this kind of crutch in, and, and it had a grip on me. And in fact, to be honest with God and honest with you, I enjoyed it. What I mean by that is I hated the feeling of the, the, the shame of sin. I hated what it did to me. But at the same time, I'd been so used to feeding from this that I actually enjoyed it. And one time I had to be honest with God. And I said two things to him. I said, God, I want to be real with you. First and foremost, I actually, I've told you, sorry, 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 5,000 times. But I'm going to tell you the truth now, because I've said sorry for years. I'm going to tell you the truth. God, I don't want to want this, but I do want it. If I didn't, I'd divorce it. I'd forsake it quickly. But God, something in me wants it, but I don't want to want it. Does that make sense? And this is what I said to God. I said, I have friends that had this addiction like I do. I have friends that are in this stronghold and bound by this like I am. But you set them free. And I put this thing like David says in the Psalms. He says, I'll appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. David had an incredible understanding of how to appeal to God. He said to God, God, if you did it for them, surely I'm no different than them. You could do it for me. He appealed to the history of how God has delivered nations, people groups. God has delivered many. I appealed to God's history. I said, my friend, he got delivered, God, and he's no different than me. You'll deliver me. I was delivered in one day like that. Bang, delivered in one day of a 20 plus year constant addiction that was confusing me, that was twisting me up, that I was so filled with shame. My mom and dad remember it was so bad, but God delivered me in one day. I believe the key of that deliverance was the understanding of expectation. I, for, for the first time, started to think, yes, I'm bad. Yes, I'm doing wrong, but that doesn't cancel out how good God is. 
yes, I'm wrong. Yes, this is a hard situation. It needs breakthrough, and I've not seen the breakthrough yet, but that doesn't stop you from doing it. Yes, I have this cycle, but I know others who had the cycle before me, and they went before me, and they were set free. There's people in here who healed last week, maybe of kidney disorder or, you know, constant migraines. God didn't dangle a carrot saying, I'll be here last week on the 6th, and now on the 14th or whatever it is. He said, I won't be here for you today. I was just here last week. I healed that guy who's, who, you know, had kidney failure and he had liver problems because of his drinking habit. I healed him, but you've not had a drinking habit yet. You still have kidney problems, but I won't heal you. That's not our father's nature. Our father needs us to expect him to be here. God is in this room right now, literally right now. The omnipresent God of the universe is in this room. Don't be afraid of him. Embrace him. The omnipresence of God is right here. God can do anything. You might have problems in the lower digestive part. I sense there's a woman who has some severe issues in that area of the body. God can heal you as you're sitting there right now. The Spirit of the Lord is timeless, limitless. He's omnipresent. He can move anywhere he sees faith. Anywhere he senses genuine expectation. But what's the point of expecting if you don't, like what's the point of praying if you don't expect it? You don't, God, I ask you to save my brother. Thank you, God. I know you want to hear that. No, he doesn't want to hear it. He wants to do it. Let's read this. Verse 22. A woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. I love that she wasn't even asking for herself. She was asking for somebody else. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Australia is the daughter of God. It needs your help, Father. He answered her, I love this, he answered her not one word. Can you imagine that? She comes up, Jesus, Jesus. And he just looks at her. She says, my daughter's severely possessed with demons. He just looks at her. Keeps walking. The next verse that says the disciples, she went to them, hey, I need to get to Jesus. Then the disciples come to him. They say, dude, you got to get rid of this woman. She's a pest. Now, Dan and I, we travel all the time. I have lots of prayer lines waiting for me at the end of every message, and I love it. I love to be a servant of the people. I want to put my hands on people. I want to see the God of breakthrough touch them, touch their lives. But you know what? I've never, I don't think one time had my intern, my assistant, one of my staff jump in and go, are you okay? Can we get rid of this woman? Never had it. I've had some weird ones too. I've had ones come up to me. I saw Fitzgerald Road, and that means I'm your wife. I've had some weird ones. Oh, I've had some weird ones. (laughs) And I'm thinking in my mind, I see the road called repentance and you're about to go on it. You know, like, but I've never had my team go, are you okay? That's what they did to Jesus though. That's how this woman was so exposing her need, exposing her expectation. She didn't care what they thought. No, I've got to get to Jesus. My daughter is severely demon possessed. And they're like, get away from Jesus. You're bothering him. You're bothering Jesus. Let's look at verse 24. Then he answered and said, Jesus, this is, in the hearing of her and the disciples, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now she's like, I'm not Israeli. He basically put a wall up. First wall was, I won't talk to you. Second wall was, I wasn't sent to you. And in the middle of that was a wall of people saying, get away. She didn't take no for an answer. She expected God. 
Now, is that arrogant to, to, to come to God and to assume you've got to do what I say? That's not how her posture was because the next verse shows her posture. It says, she came and she worshiped before him. And she said, Lord, help me. She wouldn't take no for an answer. She was like my mom. God, my husband's committed suicide. My kids are a mess. I don't have the house in order. I don't have a job. We have no money. But you are God. She worshiped him. And the next verse, that's why I said it's one of the strangest things in the Bible. Jesus said, it's not good to take the children's bread, being healing, deliverance, and freedom. God was promised the Messiah to the Jews. It's not good to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. What did he do then? Did he call her a dog? Did Jesus have that vision? He looked at that girl, you dog. No. What was he saying? You're an outsider. I'm not here for you. I already told you. I was sent to Israel. I'm not here for this assignment. This woman distracted God. This woman distracted the almighty God of the universe with one clever statement. Imagine if someone came to you and you said, look, I need this bank loan. I believe God's told me to buy this field. They said, you don't have any credentials. And they said, in fact, you don't have any money in the bank. And you turned around with some incredible statement and you said, yeah, but you do. And I have faith that I can use it. You turned around with some statement and it turned them a little bit. This didn't just turn him a little bit. This stopped God in his tracks. He said, it's not good to take this children's bread and give it to the little dogs. And she says to him, yeah, but even the dogs. She even is willing to go to that place of such offense that she's like, I'll even be called a dog. I don't care. I don't care. I just want you to touch me. She goes, even the dogs will get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now the disciples are about to have a reality check because they've been pushing her away. And Jesus has been subtly speaking to her about truth. Do you think he knew though in the end that if she stayed with him, she'd receive it? He did know, didn't he? There was tests. He wasn't testing her to see if she had faith. He wasn't testing her to see if she didn't have offense. I've heard people preach that. I just believe the Lord was just seeing if she had genuine hunger. Expectation. If I pray and sing, Australia for Jesus, and I don't believe it'll happen. You know what I'll do? I'll come back and I'll wake up in a bed in Australia in 10 years time. And it'll be now it's risen to 30%. 30% of our country are atheists. If I pray, Australia for Jesus, and I believe you can do it. That mustard seed of faith is not on my head. It's not on my heart. It's not on my ability. The mustard seed of faith I have is in your power to do it. She didn't say to, to Jesus, yeah, but I'm a really good dog and I have so much dog abilities. She said, yeah, but even the dogs are still gonna be receivers. Even the dogs expect that you're that good that it would still fall from you and touch me. Oh, it's amazing. And she stopped, she stopped God in his tracks. He looked at her and he said, woman, and the disciples now, woman, great is your faith. Did she have faith? doesn't look like faith. It looks like persistence, doesn't it? Sometimes faith looks like you actually believing God's going to do it. It doesn't look like this. Oh, I declare it. I, that, that's, that, again, can be mental. Faith looks like there's no other option for me. There's no plan B. You don't get it, Jesus. Call me a dog. Call me whatever you call me a rabbit. I'll be in front of you. I'll be worshiping next to you, and I'll say it again. Yeah, I'm a rabbit. Rabbits receive the, the crumbs. She, uh, the gospel wasn't sent to, to women. doesn't matter. Even women, they look after the bread. Women cook the bread and I'll get some of it. She was like that. Expectation. Do you expect God to answer your prayer? 
God loves faith. It pleases God. It's a gift. It pleases God. Do you expect God to answer you or do you think that He might answer you? Because the might in the middle is what's destroying us. God, save our nation. How many altar calls I've seen full? Thousands. How many countries where people are praying, God, touch our country? And like this, it's becoming atheist countries. Why? What's the difference? They're still saying words. They're still praying the right prayer. What's the difference? They expect it to be answered. God wants you to put in a good way, in a loving, honoring, worshiping way, a demand on His power. He wants you, He wants to reward His Son's sacrifice by touching your life. He doesn't want you to have mental illness. He doesn't want you to say, my son's blood was not enough. You're going to have to deal with doctors the rest of your world because my son's blood was not strong enough to deliver you. He wants you to put a demand saying, God, your arm, I've read Isaiah 59, your arm is not short that it cannot save. He wants you to put a demand in a way, in a healthy way on his words. Why would he give us promises? There's over 2,000 promises in the word of God. In fact, some theologians, there's 7,000, but there's over ones, 2,000, you can just quote them every day of your life, 365 times it says in the Bible, do not fear for one for each day. Have no fear today. Have no fear today. What if we expect nothing? We'll receive nothing. What if we pray grandiose prayers and have big altar calls, but expect no change? We'll, we'll look back at the hallways of history and go, nothing happened here. And you can go, no, 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 it's, it's sovereign. It's going to happen. Yes, it is sovereign. And God's hand is moving. But if we don't recognize the moving hand of God early and say yes to it and position ourselves, even if you're stuffed up, I was a dog. I was a porn addict Christian. I could have said to God, and I did say to God, God, I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I'm a porn addict. I still look at it once a month and I know I don't deserve it. But even the crumbs that fall from you will deliver me. And He did. And He will for you. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It does not matter. It can happen. Millions in Australia can be saved. I'm sorry I'm going long. It's, I know it's one o'clock, but millions can be saved. I'm sorry. I just feel to, to rouse you. Like it's not my strength to rouse you. It's the Lord who'll open your eyes. He'll give you awakening. But, but I feel fire. I feel, I feel this thing where I, I feel like I'm at war with this stupid stuff. Like we, we've created, not, not intentionally, but we've created a lot of dumb statements. Well, just pray more, brother. No, have faith. It doesn't say pray more. It says believe, only believe. Right? Only believe. Oh, no, 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 just fast more. It doesn't say that. Fasting's powerful, but it doesn't say stop eating, do a hunger strike. That'll get God's attention. It says believe. People fasted, the Pharisees fasted. We fast twice a week. We give one-tenth of my income. God says to you, whitewash tomb. You have nothing on the inside. You do all the right things. You say all the right words. You don't have any substance. How can you have substance? You have it by understanding one key principle. Without God, I can do nothing. And if you don't move, I've got nothing. It's got to be you touching the earth you created, you touching the hearts that you made, you touching the broken addicts that have gone away from you. It's got to be your hand, and I believe in your hand. Do you? Do you believe in the dancing hand of God that can dance over people and just capture them out of darkness? I do, and His name is Jesus. Are we going to see a great move of God in Australia? Say it like you believe it. Are we going to see a great move of God in our nation? 
Are we going to see people who are involved in crime and, and sexual sin and trafficking and prostitution set free? Or are we going to say, well, maybe it could happen. I'm so glad, Jesus, you never thought maybe the cross would work. Maybe the cross could help people. There's no maybes in God. There's I love you and it's definite. There's I can save you and it's definite. There's I love your country and it's definite. Our country has a cross on it. It has two, in fact. The one in the sky and the one that was painted by man, by the English, by by the Federation. It has two crosses. Our nation belonged to the values that bless people. Well, hang on. I don't think Christians, Christianity bless people. You're right. If you look back in the dark ages, a lot of dumb Christians who took principles and tried to call it God made God look bad. But if you look at Jesus and you look at His principle and you look at the cross and the suffering He went through just so He could love you and set you free. I'm not talking about dead religious stuff. I'm talking about a relationship with God. If you look at that, you'll find out that our country was built on that and we need that back. Otherwise, some other ism comes in. Some other scheme comes in. Some other, oh, you can sleep with anyone you want. Just go and just mess around with any, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter commitment. Commitment doesn't mean anything. And then we'll have a one in two divorce rate like every other country right now. Except for countries like Africa and others that give themselves to godly values. We'll have a one in two divorce rate, which means we'll have every second child won't know what it means to see commitment between a man and a woman, which means every second child born in our country will act like, believe like, think like an adopted orphan, which means I have no home, I don't know who I am, and because I don't know who I am, whatever's the next best thing, I'll just let that fill me, and then I'll take that back into Australia. That's what's happening. Why do you think so many biker gangs are there? Why was I like that? My dad left, I didn't know who I was. I had no dad, I didn't understand. Who am I now? Because part of the DNA is gone. But then I met the real father of spirits. But that's why so many people turn to violence because they're angry inside. They're not turning there because they wanna become a boxer. People are hitting people because of what's in them, not what they're seeing on the outside. And we can't see that change in Australia unless people experience God. God doesn't want us to have mental ascent. He wants you to get to the Marvel Stadium in five weeks and believe God will totally rock Melbourne. Like rock this country. He wants us to be there believing that it will be on the news that Jesus is not a religion. He's not some religious figurehead that wants to control everybody, that He gives freedom to people. Our lives are a product of freedom. These people, these are my brothers. Sorry, these are my bros. These are my friends. You may not know them, but these people were addicted. I was addicted. These people were broken. I was broken. We all had junk. And then we didn't meditate it out of our soul because it would come back. I tried that. People used to do a lot of spiritual things with me. Didn't work. (laughs) You can't take anger out of you. You can push it away. Guess what will happen? One phone call with mom. Don't you speak to me like that. Where did that come from? We're born in sin. The answer is to be born again. Jesus is the one who came to seek and save and set free people. He didn't come to make a new religion and He didn't come to sound smarter than everybody and confine them to a bunch of constricting rules. That's not it. Can you tell? We're alive. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this and other resources and information, go to our website, firechurch.com.au. 